Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me today are Ada Miller and Gabby Mackay. Very good. Yes, I'm just referring to the fact that these two ripped me yesterday on the podcast for not pronouncing Gabby's name right. Gaby, Gaby, Gaby. I'm getting there. Oh, it's nice to see Jenny trying like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting close. Okay, on the podcast today, we're discussing Lee Hodson and his comments that League One is on a par with the Scottish Premiership. We're going to discuss whether or not the European qualifiers that feature Scottish teams should be supported en masse by fans. Should Celtic fans support Rangers? Should Rangers fans support Celtic? Should Kamarnock fans support the old firm? We're going to find out. And finally, in a twist to Gaby's games, we're going to have a game that's uh, started by me that Gaby's going to take part in. So let's see if he can be as good when he's the contestant as he is as the quizmaster. Okay, we're going to start off with you, Adam, because I want to know your opinion on Lee Hodson and his hot take that the English League One, the third tier in English football, is as good as the Scottish Premiership. Um, I think that's the kind of thing you say to pander to a certain audience. I think uh, when you arrive at a new club or when you're the fans that you're trying to get on side have a certain view of things, you're not wanting to... Uh, veer too far away from that you want to get them on side it's quite an easy dig to make I don't technically think it's factually correct I think uh, I think Scottish football while as we've talked about before in this podcast it may not be on a technical level one of the world's best leagues I think in terms of physicality I think in terms of intensity and often in terms of excitement, I think it more than holds its own. And so f- to be talking about it in the same breath as the League One in England, I don't think is a fair comparison at all. Some big clubs in there though, Gaby. I've got Sunderland, Bolton, Portsmouth. All these were cited by Hodson as an example of the kind of teams that make up that league and that make him have this opinion. Well, I have to be honest, I've never watched a League One match and I never will because it's irrelevant, it's a pointless league, I don't know why anybody would bother watching it. Uh, so I don't know if the standard's as good as the Scottish Premiership, better or worse, because I haven't watched it. Uh, I've watched Lee Hodson though, and Andy Halliday kept him out of the Rangers team. Andy Halliday, who's a honking central midfielder, playing out of position at left back, kept him out the Rangers team. He wasn't really even a guaranteed starter for St Mirren. He was at Comarnock for a while, and to be fair, he was all right, but he's not exactly a world-beater. So I'm not sure who Lee Hodson is to be judging the standard of things. As I think some people have said on Twitter, if the standard is similar to the Scottish Premiership, that's bad news for him, he'll probably struggle. The only time I think I will ever watch a League One match in England is if they make Series 2 of Sunderland till I die. Which they are making. Well, there you go. Right, okay, so I'll be able to make a more accurate comparison when that gets broadcast, but until then, I think it's nonsense. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, should we, should we get wound up by this? As Adam said when he first answered the question, you know, it's a new player. He doesn't want to say, well, actually, my career's in free fall and I've gone from the top flight in Scotland to the third tier in English football. Do we, do we, are we too sensitive about this sort of stuff? I mean, to be clear, I'm not wound up about it. I literally have never watched a League One game. I'd like no. your face is red Gaby it's always red <laughs> uh, I'm like Alan Brazil um, yeah. uh, no I, I think yeah if a player goes to a club they're going to they're going to say those kind of things you know it's like any player that signs for 
for Rangers, they'll always say that they're joining the most successful club in the world. Any player that signs for Celtic will say that they're signing for the biggest club in Scotland. Players sign for clubs, they say these things, they say what the new fans want to hear, that possibly local media wants to hear. It really is no big deal. Moving on now to um, the European games. Of course, today, Rangers face off against St. Joseph's in Gibraltar and Celtic are over in Sarajevo. Now, the question is... Should Scottish fans support opposition teams when they are playing in Europe for the sake of the coefficient? We all know that Scotland's had a bit of battering, bit of a battering over the last few years. Adam, is it time to put these tribalism rivalries aside and just support the overall Scottish football family? No, no, it isn't. And as much as I can understand the argument that you want the coefficient to improve. Maybe I'm just not mature enough, but a large part of following a football team is wanting to see your rivals fail, whether that be domestically or in European competition. And I don't think it's practical to say to a Rangers fan that they should want Celtic to succeed for the sake of the coefficient or vice versa. It's also... Uh, I don't think practical to ask a fan of a non-old firm team to say I'd like Rangers or Celtic to win their games in that competition, given the attitude among old firm fans to teams from outside the old firm. And yes, if people are listening, I have repeatedly said the term old firm there, so I'll deal with that in the comments. Um, I just genuinely think that there's... uh, you're taking a lot of the fun out of it and it becomes a bit po-faced and a bit too earnest, which is not where I get my enjoyment from football. Um, I understand the the logic behind wanting the rivals to win and the coefficient improving and how that might benefit your own team, but I think the, the, the schadenfreude involved in watching your rivals fail is infinitely preferable to going, oh, well, you know what, they won and that's quite good for us, so... No, resounding no. Gaby, a hundred years of bitter history between Rangers and Celtic, so perhaps that's understandable. But a Kilmarnock fan, I mean, you'll, you're a Kilmarnock fan, you'll, you'll be supporting Rangers and Celtic in the European exploits, won't you? No, I will not. Uh, <laughs> I'll, support, I'll support Aberdeen, that, that's fine, I'd like to see Aberdeen do well, Aberdeen can do as well as possible. Uh, I don't think we should support, well, as fans of what they'd no doubt call a diddy club, I wouldn't support Rangers or Celtic. I mean, if you want to talk about coefficient, when was Scottish football competitive in Europe? When was Scottish football good in Europe? What, 60s, 70s, 80s? What happened then? Well, we had shared gate receipts for a start. There was a lot less of a financial disparity uh, between the top two teams and the rest. And lo and behold, the teams did better in Europe. Since, what, the late 80s, early 90s, we've had this thing where... There's a huge financial divide which between the rest of the league and Rangers and Celtic. Then Rangers and Celtic complain that they can't compete in Europe because they don't have enough domestic competition. While they've got hugely more money, they buy the best players from the other teams in the league. They dominate the league and then can't compete in Europe. So I don't understand why fans of other clubs should then expect uh, to be expected to want those two teams to do well um, when particularly Celtic if they get to Champions League group stage will net them huge amounts of money which will only increase the financial gap between them and the rest of the league Yeah but at the same time is it not worrying Gaby when you look at teams from Latvia or uh, Lithuania pumping Scottish teams out of Europe does that not fill you with a sense of dread about the way our national game is going because these elements of uh, the brutal polarisation that has taken place across football 
It's all over Europe. It's not just defined to Scotland. We see it in Italy with the way Juventus have dominated the league there. We see it with Barcelona and Real Madrid and, and Spain. And that can be applied to any of the leagues. So Yeah, but in, in Italy, the other teams don't want Juventus to win the Champions League because they don't have that sort of inferiority complex to the rest of Europe where they think, well, we need, we need to do well. We need to care what everyone else thinks about us. I can guarantee you, having, been, having covered Italian football, having been at Italian football matches, fans of other Italian clubs, or most of them, some of them probably do, but most of them do not want Juventus to win the Champions League. So, so why would... Uh, so you're telling me Napoli fans won't be sitting watching Juventus in the Champions League with their fingers crossed, desperately hoping that Cristiano Ronaldo bags a hat-trick and puts them through? That is exactly what I'm telling you, yes. <laughs> I watched that Maradona documentary and Napoli fans definitely <laughs> seemed like a, a calm, rational group of people who would make that kind of decision. Yeah, I, I, I honestly just think there's a time and a place for solidarity with your with your rival football fans and that is the three or four international games that you give a toss about over the course of a year if that i think that's what international football's for it's for coming together and moaning about scotland a few times a year um that might change slightly this year because there might actually be something to cheer about with scotland given steve clarkson but I think uh, that that's Steve Clark's in, not Steve Clarkson. But I think with uh, with club football, I, I don't think it's fair to ask fans to set rivalries and loyalties aside for the sake of the coefficient. Do you get a sense that Scottish football is slowly but surely getting there, Gaby? We know that the finances are, are certainly improving uh, across the board, um, certainly much better than they were 10 years ago at this time. Do you think that Scottish football can now be in a position where we can get to the third and fourth qualifying rounds and maybe even into the Europa League stages. Yeah, well, you'd have to hope so. I think you look at Rangers, obviously, are playing a team from Gibraltar tonight. Now, they should be able to beat them. I mean, you know, the Gibraltarian League, as I think I've said, all the teams play on one pitch. You know, it's it's not a real football country. Well, it's not a real country for a start, but it's not <laughs> a real football. It isn't a real country. That's just, just a geographical fact. Anyway. It's a British protectorate. Yes, exactly. Um so Rangers should be able to beat them uh, you'd like to think uh, Kelly would be able to beat a part-time Welsh team uh, Celtic it's a tough tough one against Sarajevo but you'd like to think they'd be able to get through that and well certainly Marcus Heikinen was saying today that he thinks that Aberdeen can beat the Finnish team that I can't pronounce the name of so you'd like to think that all four clubs would be able to get through the first round and Kelly have a more difficult second round obviously because they're not seeded but you'd like to think that with the, the teams that are in there I think are all they're all decent teams there's not you know we've seen in the past you maybe get a team that'll get there when it used to be that the Scottish Cup runners up could get in you'd have the likes of Gretna I think were in it once Queen of the South were in it once I don't think you have that I think Kelly, Aberdeen, Celtic Rangers they're all well set up sides they're all sides who have largely the same sort of squad they had last year uh, you'd like to think that at least the, the results, if if it doesn't involve all four getting to the group stages or whatever, that at least it won't be uh, a shambolic embarrassment, although we'll see what happens tonight, I guess. Adam, you're a guy who likes to talk Scottish football up. That's a, a big facet uh, yeah. component of uh, Old Firm Facts, yeah. the Twitter account. Yeah. How difficult is it to reconcile that with some of the results that we do have and we have had at this stage? It is difficult, and I think... I think part, partly you sort of fall back on the sort of self-deprecating humour that's so prevalent, not just in Scottish football, but in Scottish society. It's almost, you know, is the predisposition is to kind of mock our failings. And that's a large part of, 
you know, my Twitter account and all that, I, I'll talk up every kind of success that we have in Scottish football. But of course, there's times when, uh, you know, there's Progress Niederkorns and there's Lincoln Red Imps and there's all sorts of other kind of daft things that happen in Scottish football. And you have to be able to take the piss out of yourself. I think... Uh, I, I I think you can't avoid some of the bad results that Scottish teams have had in Europe in the last few years. Similarly, there have been numerous successes in Europe, um, not just with Celtic and Rangers. Um, so you do talk those up as well. Is there a sense, Gabby, that with Rangers returning to European uh, competition, they are one of our bigger clubs. They've had, obviously, difficult times, but they're now looking like they're coming back to a stage where they're, they are as good as they probably should be given their fan base within the, the, the construct of Scottish football, that we will naturally see European results improve because that's a big, big team, a big, big element of Scottish football and culture and society come back to a level that we would expect them to be at. Yeah, I think you could probably, I think that would probably be fair to say. Obviously, Rangers finished second last year, which is about where you'd expect them to finish, given the, as we've talked about, the sort of the, the finances. They got to the group stage in the Europa League last year and got knocked out, which again is probably about par, you know, it's maybe a little bit above par them to get through the four qualifying rounds, but then you wouldn't necessarily expect them to get through the group. And then Celtic got knocked out at the Champions League and got through the group in the Europa League and then got knocked out in the sort of the, the last 32, which again, I think is probably about par for what you'd expect for Scottish teams. So I think if you know, teams can achieve basically what, what we'd call par in the next few years, then you will see the coefficient start to go up. So if you see if Kilmarnock get to the second round and lose to, uh, what are they called? Rops. Uh, no, that's... that's oh, sorry, Partizan Belgrade. Partizan yeah. Belgrade, thank you. Uh, yeah, so if they get through and lose to Belgrade, you'd say, well, that's probably what you'd expect if Aberdeen can beat the Finnish team and get through their second round because they're seeded. So by UEFA standards, they should get through that. And then they lose in the third round, you'd say, yeah, probably about par. And if Rangers can get to either the playoff or the group stage, yeah, you'd say that. And Celtic, obviously, the ideal is to get to the Champions League group stage. But again, I think if they can get to that playoff round, then get through the Europa League group, that's probably about what we'd expect for the the level that Scottish football's at. And if teams can consistently, you know, just achieve what you'd expect rather than overachieving, then I think you will start to see that coefficient rising. Adam, do you think there's anything that we can do um, in terms of the, the power brokers in Scottish football, the SFA or the SPFL, is there anything that they can do to help these teams? Because it feels like every season it's earlier and earlier. Now, I know it's not. I think it's one day earlier this year. Mm-hmm. But but there's almost no break. Is there an argument to say, let's extend the winter break, let's have six weeks off, and let's bring that season forward two weeks so that the teams have a better opportunity to start? It would be interesting to see you know even just on a trial basis just to to do that for one season and see how it worked because i think we've talked about it before it doesn't feel like the season's ended it feels like teams barely had any time off and bear in mind this is a year without a world cup or european championships but it still felt like there's been barely any gap between the final what's the final whistle of what was the the last competitive game would have been the playoff final for the the premiership yeah um to the point now where teams are playing competitive European matches that felt like Bailey's, five minutes yeah, ago. Five weeks. Yeah, um, and it's not as if the players have had a month away before they went back to their pre-season training camps. They had barely any time off and then they're into 
these tra- they're into pre-season training which is you know a kind of rude awakening as well given the intensity of it i think it'd be worthwhile trialing that just to kind of see how it works it, there's no guarantee that it would but you see a lot of the time uh upsets occurring at this stage of the season because uh the fitness levels aren't what they need to be um and i think that's a, that's a possibility that that's why i think Celtic and Rangers, who are favourites for in their ties this week, um, and Kilmarnock as well, being favourites in theirs as well, I think uh, they can't take anything for granted in these games. Yeah, I was at um, Hibs nil Malmo seven, Gaby, um, which was possibly the the best example of a team who was right at it in the middle of the season going up against a rubbish and poorly prepared side. Now, I'm not saying for a minute the reason Malmo won seven uh, by. So- one at all was because of summer football, but they were clearly physically right there, playing against a team who were who were significantly poorer than they were, and uh, not only the difference between them in terms of the quality, but the physicality really made a difference. Is that something you think that we could think about moving that season back a little bit? Well, I think just when you're talking about Malmo, it's obviously something Aberdeen will have to be wary of because their opponents will be right in the middle of their season as well. It depends what you're talking about. Are you talking about moving to summer football or are you talking about having the extended winter break? Because I'm not sure having a six-week winter break would work when you look at teams from very far eastern Europe, Russian teams, Ukrainian teams, even sort of Czech teams. They have these long breaks and there's a lot of times when their teams come back to play their sort of uh, second round, knockout round games in Europe, they look really undercooked because it's yeah. very difficult from a fitness point of view to sort of take that long a break and then get back to fitness, which is why you see... You know, take another sport, take uh, cycling. You don't usually see cyclists won't do the Giro d'Italia and the Tour de France because it's really difficult to build your fitness up and then get it down and then get it right back up again. Um, which is so, I think if you're talking about taking a sort of six week winter break, I'm not sure that would be the the right thing. It might help on the one end, it might help the qualification, but then if it helps you, if it helps you to qualify, if it helps you get to the group stage or get through the group stage, you're going to have to come back and play games in February and then you're going to have the same problem that you have in the summer. You're going to be undercooked because you've had six weeks off, which I think is what you see with uh, the aforementioned uh, Eastern European teams. Okay, well, it's definitely one to think about. Uh, we're going to move on now to a little game. So it's going to be you, the agent. Adam, I'm going to give you a player and okay. I want you to assume the role of their agent and tell me what advice you would give them to sort out their transfer predicament, if there is any, this summer. So, I'm going to start with Olivier and Cham. I would say probably shut up for five <laughs> minutes. Um, I think in Cham, uh, am I addressing you? Are you Olivier and Cham in this situation? I, I can be, yes. Okay, Olivier, shut up. Um, I, I think... We? Oui. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we've we've crossed the language barrier there. That's that's a, that's a step in the right direction. Um, I think that uh, I think that your days at Celtic are numbered. Um, you've not helped your cause particularly in terms of how you'll be remembered by Celtic fans. It's fair enough that you want to leave. That's understandable. I wouldn't talk down the game on your way out if you had, as I advised you last summer, spe- built on your first season and. Uh, played even better last season if you'd taken my advice at that point Olivier then you'd be in a better position to be making the sort of comments that you have been making in recent days however you were mints for most of last season 
um, I could possibly get you a move alongside Lee Hodson in the English League One. Um, again, that is if you just shut up for five minutes. That's my advice, Olivia. I think you're in the wrong job. I think it's time to get your agency started. Although it's, I think you might have to work on your soft skills a little bit, <laughs> calling them mints. And uh... as someone as someone who worked in the quality department of a call centre, I resent being told to work on my soft skills. <laughs> Gaby, you are the agent. Yeah, uh, so am I an unscrupulous agent, or am I just? Uh, um... you, you can take this as Mino Riola as you like. Right, okay. up to you. Or you can be. We're obviously not saying that Mino Riola is unscrupulous because he could sue us. So. I think he would probably want us to say that. Okay. To be I think he'd probably pride in that. <laughs> right. um, Alfredo Morelos. Uh, I would tell Morelos to refuse to turn up to training, uh, kick players on the training ground, throw bottles of water over Steven Gerrard, and just generally go in a sulk until they sell him for a knockdown fee. If I was an unscrupulous agent. If I wasn't, I would probably tell him you've got a long-term contract at Rangers. They've renewed your contract, I think, two or three times since you've been there. It's a club that's treated you well. It's a club where you've had disciplinary issues and they've uh, defended you publicly, although Gerard did sort of lose his patience toward the end of last season. So I, what I'd tell him to do is keep turning up, keep your head down, get working hard, and hopefully we can come to an agreement that will suit both parties. I think the club I probably would take the right amount for him. Uh, Morelos I think obviously does want to move on and there probably will be clubs interested so if we play this right Alfredo then you can leave on good terms Who are you talking to? What Uh, clubs? um, Crystal Palace um, (laughs) and uh, some other clubs I mean you have contacts in Italy I would have assumed you would have been utilising those Well um, I can't obviously reveal where I'll be uh, what I'll be doing but uh, I, I just feel that uh, putting Alfredo Morelos in the volatile atmosphere of Italy might just lead to some chaos Okay Agent Adam John Suter I would say I would say stay put and uh, don't follow Olivier and Cham's example that would be my main bit of advice Gaby Scott McKenna a man who there was a lot of transfer speculation about but it's all gone quiet so my advice to Scott McKenna would be go on strike, don't turn up to training, uh, cause riots on the training ground once again. Uh, no, I think... Well, my advice to Scott McKenna would be perhaps don't try and make too big of a jump too soon. I think McKenna's obviously he's a good sort of siege defender, but I think we've seen when he plays international level that he's maybe not not so great with the ball on the deck. So if I were his agent, I'd probably sit him down and I'd say, Scott, son... You need to improve with your feet. So I'm not getting you that big move to the Premier League. You're going to go to the Championship or maybe even Celtic or someday. And that way you can develop your game and then you'll get that big move further down the line and then we'll discuss my commission. You've turned into Archie Knox. Hmm. Have I? <laughs> yeah. Right, OK. Adam. Agent Adam, James Tavernier. James Tavernier. Um, who's James Tavernier being linked with? Well, he's not he's not being linked with anyone at the moment, but the question is, he's been at Rangers for a number of years now, club captain, had a number of new deals, but he's 28, so is he reaching an age where if he wants to move on and test himself at a higher level, and listen, by his statistics and his performances at Rangers, you'd have to say, well, he's done a fantastic job for the club, um, and as a player that's got the potential to move down south, now there's a number of clubs linked with him in the past, it's kind of gone quiet in terms of that, this transfer window. Do you think he still has stuff to do? I would say, James, you have more than proved yourself at Rangers. You have shown that you can take the step up from the Championship to the Premiership and distinguish yourself. 
You have shown that you can take numerous penalties in this in the course of one game, which is a vital attribute for uh, any player uh, who plays for Rangers, who plays for <laughs> Rangers to have. Um, so you could stay at Rangers and uh, remain a key part of the, the first team for the next three or four years, but you are approaching your prime as a player. If you were to leave Rangers tomorrow... I don't think it would be on bad terms. I think the fans would appreciate your reasons for wanting to leave. Um, so if an offer does come in for you, we're going to have to have a serious discussion about it. Okay, Gaby, round us off with the toughest one, perhaps, Kieran Tierney. Right, I'm going to go full Mino on this one. Right. I'd be saying to Kieran Tierney, look, Celtic want £25 million for you, but clubs aren't willing to bid that. And if they do, then they're probably going to cut back on the wages they'll be offering you because they have to pay such a big transfer fee and that's going to affect my commission so what I'd say Kieran is you just make it clear that you want to make the move and that you won't be playing for Celtic again <laughs> and I know, you, I know you love the club Kieran but we've got to think about your future here so you basically just don't turn up to training and stuff and then just wait just force them to accept a bid that is well below your value uh, basically screw over the club you love and I'll get you a big wage and I'll get a lovely old commission you can tell Gibby spent a lot of time covering Mino Raiola in uh, Italian <laughs> days. I googled Mino Raiola earlier on, and his net. Can you guess what his net worth is? According to Google, which may or may not be accurate, and it's also not taken into account what he stands to make out of this Pogba deal if this happens. Three hundred million. Oh no, this is all quite underwhelming now. Right, sixty-two million. Right, okay. Yeah, he should have gone low at the start there. Well, I was thinking, you know, the the amount of big deals that he's uh, completed yeah, well, over got, the years. He got commissioned from Pogba, Juventus and Manchester United when that transfer happened, yeah. which, uh, which is some good agenting. Like, whatever yeah. you want to say about Mino Raiola, he is clearly not stupid. He's no, clearly no. good at agenting. Now, we might not like his agenting, but he's clearly I, good at it. I think if you're a footballer, the worst thing you could possibly have would be a nice agent. Yeah. I think you yeah. you want him to be an absolute scumbag. And I'm not suggesting for a minute on this podcast that Mino Riola is a scumbag. However, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect him to be a massively nice guy because why would you want that? No, you want a tough, no-nonsense negotiator who's going to get you the best possible deal. I mean, Riola had uh, Zlatan for many, many... Well, I think he still got him. But you think how many big moves he had, you know, Barcelona, Milan, Inter, Juve. I mean, he, he made an incredible amount of moves. And every time, of course, uh, Mino picks up his slice. Yeah, um, and he, he he had that when, so he went from Juventus to Inter. Juventus obviously didn't want to sell him to Inter. And Mino was like, well, you know, you just tell them you're not going to be playing. Uh, when he was at Barcelona, he wanted to go to Milan and Milan wouldn't pay the huge fee. And then, so he got Zlatan to say, well, I will only go to Real Madrid, that or I'll stay here on my big wages or I'll go to Real Madrid, no other options. And then obviously Barcelona eventually went, uh, all right, we'll accept that Milan move. So, And of course, uh, he's going through the same playbook at the moment with Paul Pogba. But anyway, that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We will be back later on this evening with uh, a special podcast after the two games to give you our first thoughts so we're going to have uh, insight from Celtic's game and Rangers game so we'll be back for that at around half past ten uh, we'll also be back tomorrow obviously before 4pm just in time to make your daily work commute that a little bit more bearable you can get more from us at the Football Scotland website on our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at football underscore Scott to ask a question or make a comment to us individually you can get me on at Johnny R McFarlane you can get Gaby at Gaby McKay and Adam at Old Firm Facts 1. <laughs> Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.